How many of you ever watched that program called Mythbusters? We're starting a series this morning called Mythbusters. How many of you ever watched that program? I think it's on Discovery Channel, Mythbusters. And the, and the whole, the whole uh, program is about um, focusing on trying to prove a widely held belief or mindset that is wrong. And, uh, and the goal of the program was to discredit or prove what people think is true. And uh, that's the goal of this series is to try to discredit or prove wrong scripturally a widely held and popular belief of financial myths and beliefs. How many of you know there's some myths about finances that we need to learn about? One amen. Three amens. You know, like for instance, God doesn't care about our money as much as others do. It's not good to have a lot of money because money is the root of all evil in the world. After all, most rich people are thieves and crooks, and that's how they get rich, by taking advantage of other people. You ever heard that? Here's some more. If I could just inherit a million dollars, I would be set. I wouldn't have any more financial problems. Or if I could just make a little bit more money, I'd be set and wouldn't have to be stressed out anymore. Now, here's another big one. All churches want is your money. How many of you heard that one? And the only reason pastors preach about tithing or giving is because they're selfish and they're just trying to take all my money. How many of you ever heard of that? It's all right. You can just laugh and say, yeah, that's true. Come on. How many of you, how many of you believe that? Let me see. No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I just wanted to catch you. But how many of you know that these views and beliefs that are deemed true are, are really myths and wrong mindsets? So we're going to talk about that in this series. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God means the Lord's opinions and views concerning every area of your life, including your finances. How many of you know the Lord has an opinion about that? It's too quiet in here. I need some amens. And so the Lord has a lot to say about every area of our life, including the proper view and handling of our possessions and our finances. And we need to learn the whole counsel of God, including what God has to say about how we view and handle our money and our possessions, because if we truly want to live a blessed life, we need to apply God's wisdom towards our finances. Does that make sense? In fact, whatever you want God to bless, follow his counsel and it'll be blessed. And so let's begin the series this morning about asking the question, does God really care about how we view or handle our finances? What do you think? And does God really tell us how we should view and handle our finances? It, 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 amazingly, God does. He teaches us how. It turns out that the Bible has a staggering amount to say about our proper view of handling our money and our possessions. In fact, the Bible devotes twice as many verses to money than to faith and prayer combined. Isn't that amazing? Jesus spoke more about money than both heaven and hell. Now, what's greater than heaven and hell? Why would he speak more about money than heaven and hell? 
15% of the recorded words of Jesus were on the proper view and handling of finances. Isn't that amazing? Somebody said if the Bible were written today, it would probably not be published. No publisher would probably want to publish it because it would be considered out of touch, outdated, irrelevant, or, irrelevant, or, or our present culture and times would not accept it because of its radical views of how we are to view and handle our finances. You know, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, if, if you want to publish a book, I have never done this, but I've just heard from those that, that have the publishers will look at the material and decide whether they want to put their name on it. And, and some publishers, if you, if you got some far-right idea, they say, I'm not publishing that. And so, you know, some believe that if, they, if you tried to publish the Bible today, nobody would want to touch it. They say, ah, oh, it's radical. That's far-out ideas. But how many of you know it's, it's not outdated? It's still as good today as it was the day that it was written. Amen? But the handling question uh, the uh, haunting question we should uh, be concerned about is, why does God give us so much instruction on money and possessions? I want to give you a few reasons why. In fact, six to be exact. The first one is this. It directly affects your level of spirituality. Where you go spiritually is directly related to how you handle finances. And some people feel like they're stuck in the mud and they can't go any further spiritually and it's because of the way they handle their finances. In fact, the church of Laodicea, this is what the Lord told them in Revelation 3.15. He said, I know all the things that you do and that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm or like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of you know that's not good news right there? You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. In other words, he's saying money and possessions can rob you of your spiritual passion. He says you, you think you're rich, but one thing you're lacking is spiritual fire. And so it can, you know, uh, uh, how you handle your finances can cause you to lose your fire for God, which the Lord is not pleased with. Money and possessions can also blind you to your own spiritual poverty. We say that we're rich and we don't need any. And he's saying, man, you are, you are not rich. You are poor. You're poor in the things of God. And so somehow finances and possessions can blind you spiritually. In Revelation uh, 3 and 15, he said, you say I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. A great Puritan leader by the name of Richard Baxter said, When men prosper in the world, their minds are lifted up with their estates. And they can hardly believe that they are so ill when they feel so well. See, money and possessions can blind you spiritually and rob you of spiritual blessings. Do you see that? And that's why, that's one of the reasons why Jesus spent so much time talking about it. A second reason we need to learn about how to view and handle our possessions and our money, it directly affects our heart and our attitude. You know, one of life's greatest ironies is this. What happens when a poor, humble person gets blessed with prosperity? Many times the increase of finances and possessions does something. And, and, and it becomes a curse 
instead of a blessing because of what it does to our hearts and our attitudes. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these programs, but, you know, I'm just thinking about this, but they did a, a program with all these people that either won the lotto or got, you know, uh, you know, you know, got it money, you know, some, they didn't have to work for it. It just dropped in their lap. And, 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 and almost without exception, everybody that got wealthy overnight without having to work for it said, I wish I would have never got this money because it, it just ruined my life. Ezekiel chapter 28, 4 and 5 says, With your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth. Gold and silver for, silver for your treasures. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich. And your riches have made you very proud. One of the challenges of prospering is the potential of our riches and our possessions to make us very proud. See, riches and possessions can inflate your attitude. And, and cause your heart to be filled with pride. And so we begin to think that, you know, it's our ability. Well, you know, I'm a good business guy. That's why I do so well. And that's why I got what I have. And, and we just start taking credit for it and we become prideful and we forget about our dire need for God. In Hosea chapter 13 and verse 6, it says, When I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. See, one of the greatest tests in life is not poverty, but it's prosperity. You know, there's for, for every, every hundred people that can handle poverty, there's only one that can handle prosperity. Because prosperity has a way of doing some crazy things. It gives you power, it gives you influence, and it just gets down in your life, and it gives you problems. You know, you might have heard me tell this story, but I know Brother Francis and Miss Betty Jo remember it. But, you know, this great apostle in Honduras by the name of Brother Adon Waver, he's planted churches all over Honduras. And he tells the story of he had this pastor that was doing great. He was pastoring several village churches. And, and Brother Adon began to see his fruitfulness and said, you know, I want to bless this guy and I want to give him the ability to do more. And so he bought him a brand new bicycle. And you know, whenever he got that brand new bicycle, he backslid, fell away from the Lord. For him, he couldn't handle a brand new bicycle. Whenever I tell that story, I wonder, what can God trust me with? What can God trust us with? That our hearts don't get lifted up and we don't forget our God. See, material prosperity can begin as God's blessing but when we treat it as a substitute for God, it becomes a curse instead of a blessing. The third reason we need to learn how to handle our money and our possessions is because it directly affects your emotional life. You know, many people attach their happiness and their emotional stability to what they have, their possessions, and how much money they have. And, and if... If they make a lot of money, if they got a lot of stuff, they're happy. But if they're not making a lot of money, if they lose a lot of money, they're sad. And so their happiness, their emotional stability is attached to what they have or they don't have. And that's why whenever there is a, a stock market crash, there's, there's all these suicides. Because people's emotional stability is attached to how much they have in the bank account. But how many of you know that's not the way the Lord wants us to live? Amen? 
An unhealthy trust in riches and possessions negatively affects your emotional life. You know, I heard, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they did a test to predict a person's lifespan, barring an accident. You know, they said, this is what you can, about how long you can expect to live, barring an accident or some kind of terminal disease or something. And it says, if you exercise regularly, you can add so many years to the average lifespan. You, you'll live longer, historically. If you smoke, you have to subtract a couple of years, and so on. But one of the statements that particularly was striking was this. If your family income is over fifty to 75000 a year, you have to subtract two years from your lifespan. It's like, oh my goodness. Don't quit your job just yet. An unhealthy attachment to money and possessions is the mother of stress and anxiety. And so some people, they can't live emotionally stable because they're too attached to their finances and their possessions. And the Lord wants us to be delivered from that. Can I get a better amen? That's why the apostle Paul instructed Timothy to teach you and I to be careful what we put our trust and our hope in. First Timothy 6, 12 or 17, he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, you know, I used to read that verse and say, those who are rich in this world, that's not me. But you know, when that, whenever the Bible says those who are rich in the world, we look at it in the Western way and say, you know, it's those that have millions and millions of dollars. Those are the rich people. But how many of you know most of us in this world, compared to the world, most of us in this room are considered rich. We're considered rich. And Paul's recommendation is to place our trust and hope in God if we want to have emotional stability. Because money and riches, how many of you know they can get wings? And they can, they can fly away. I was talking to a gentleman not long ago. He was a, a, a all field business owner and uh, he sold his business at the height of the all field and he made millions and millions. And all of a sudden he decided, man, I did so well, I'm going to buy another all company. And he bought it just before the all recession hit and he lost millions and millions. How many of you know it doesn't matter how much you have, it can fly away. So Jesus says, listen, don't put your trust in your money or in your possessions. Put it in the Lord. Amen. And you're going to have emotional stability. You know, I learned this principle whenever I was just saved. And, you know, uh, whenever I started coming to church, Brother Francis, uh, by the way, if you want to hear great teaching uh, uh, on on kingdom economics and tithing and offering and alms and all that, Brother Francis has written a great book called Kingdom Economics. And you can get that here. I encourage you to do it. Or you can get it in a CD form or DVD form because he taught it for many years here. How many of you heard Brother Francis teach? I mean, that's I think that's one of his life lessons. But anyway, whenever I started coming to church and I heard about tithing, I was single, I was working in all field, had plenty of money. It really wasn't that big of a sacrifice for me to tithe. You know, it, I didn't, it didn't pinch me too hard. You know what I mean? And so I was bumping along pretty good. And then the Lord started dealing with me about tithing my savings account. And I said, well, hold on, hold on, Lord. That was BC. 
I mean, that was before. I didn't know to tie that. I don't, leave my savings account alone. And man, I'm telling you, I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that. But you know what? Prior, I mean, I was always looking at my stock that, that you know, my financial advisor had invested in. I was looking at my, I mean, I was all, I was getting the newspaper, looking at what the stock market was doing. I mean, every day I had to see, I had to look. And man, I, I was just, just, man, if the stock market was up, I was up. If the stock market was down, I was down. Come on, y'all, y'all help me out. How many of you have been there, done that? Y'all don't leave me hanging here Say, come on, fess up in church so I don't feel so alone. But you know what? Eventually, you know, the Lord convinced me I should tithe that savings account. And I did. And you know what? I noticed right away. I didn't worry about looking at the stock market anymore. Something broke off of my life. You know, money can have you. And money can just cause you to have all kinds of emotional stress. And, you know, you say, man, I wish I had a lot. You know, those that have more worry more because they got more to lose. Amen. How many of you say, well, I'd like to try that out, though. Amen. A fourth reason we, we, uh, we need to learn how to view and handle our money and possessions properly is because it can rob you of the true meaning and purpose of life. You know, there's a long list of men and women who have been seduced by the lure of money and possessions and have robbed, and it's robbed them of the true meaning and purpose of life. They've sacrificed their family. They've sacrificed their health. They've sacrificed so many things because they think that the true meaning and purpose of life is get all you can and can all you get. It's the wrong, it's the wrong purpose. And Solomon, who is the richest man, Whoever lived, he was at the top of a list of realizing the futility of riches and possessions. And this is what he said. This is what he has to say about money and possessions. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> I love that. So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Verse 15, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Come on, no U-Haul trailers connected to the hearse, right? And this too is a very serious problem. People live this world no better off than they came, and their hard work is for nothing like working for the wind. At the end of his life, the world's richest man says this, everything he worked so hard to achieve all his life was meaningless. It was like chasing after the wind. And so then he says in, ver in chapter 2 and verse 11, I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. See, if we don't learn how to handle our money and possessions correctly, it's going to rob us of the true meaning of life. How many of you know there's some things more important than dollars and cents? There's some things more important than whether you got a brand new car or not. Amen? Solomon's conclusion. This guy was the, the richest. He was the Bill Gates, okay? And he says in the conclusion, the true meaning and purpose of life, he said, after I've done it all and I'm coming to the end, says, here it is, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. 
fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Come on, how many of you know that's a good conclusion right there? So according to the man who spent his life chasing after the gold at the end of the rainbow, the gold pot, uh, the pot of gold, there you go, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow says, hey, don't spend your life chasing after more. Serve God, obey his commands, amen? I mean, if you think that's a good perspective right there. Another reason we need to learn how to, to view and handle our money and possessions correctly is because it directly affects your ability to acquire true riches. And this is, this is how Jesus encapsulated this thought in Luke 16.10. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? We can read past those verses and not really understand or not see the significance of it. But Jesus makes it crystal clear. Properly handing our money and our possessions qualifies us to receive more riches. If you're faithful with a little bit, you're going to get more. Amen. And it qualifies us to receive the true riches of heaven. What are the true riches of heaven? I'm not sure exactly. I know heaven is one of them, obviously. But what about grace and peace and the joy of the Lord? How many of you know that's riches right there? And what about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life? How many of you think that's, that's a blessing right there? The ability to receive answered prayer when you pray, the wisdom and knowledge of God to know how to handle your life, the supernatural, miraculous grace of God released over your family and over your home, the ability to be used of God to reach the lost and see them coming into the kingdom of God. How many of you would agree that's as the that is the riches of the kingdom of God. Amen. And he says, listen, what qualifies you for the true riches of heaven is how you handle your money, how you handle your possessions. Why did Jesus talk so much about it? Because it's so important. You see, he was making sure he's like, hey, hey, guys, listen, there's a heaven and hell. Make sure you get to heaven. Now handle your money correctly. You're saying, because this could be the telltale sign. You know, I, I don't know. How many of you heard of Pastor Rick Warren? You ever heard of that guy? You know, he's considered one of the top influences of our nation. But uh, he wrote a best-selling book called uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Y'all ever heard about that? And then that book sold millions and millions. And, uh, and what happened was one day this lady was reading it, and, and this guy killed a few people and he ended up breaking into her apartment and she's reading the purpose driven life and he's holding her hostage and he said what you're reading is purpose driven life and she starts reading him the book and he decides and she starts ministering to him man you got a purpose for your life and god's got a plan for your life and he decides to surrender well it hits the media and everybody knows now about the book and then it sells it sells another few million and so the media gets hold of that and they say, ah, we're going to check up on this pastor. So they interview him. And he said, now, Pastor Rick, you wrote this best-selling book. It's one of the best-selling books of all time. He said, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. They said, you made a lot of money. Yeah, I did. 
Millions. Well, Pastor Rick, what did you do with those millions? And they were expecting to hear, well, I built me a camp here and a a condo here and I got me a Rolls Royce and, you know, and all this stuff. And they were shocked by what he said. He said, well, the first thing I did was I gave the church that I'm pastoring. I gave the church back my salary that they paid me all the years that I've been pastoring the church. Their mouth dropped. And he said, not only that, but um, I became a reverse tither. A reverse tither, what is that? Well, you know, in the church we teach, you should tithe your income. If you get $100, you should tithe $10. He said, but I reversed that. He said, I decided I'm going to be a reverse tither. So I've been keeping 10% and I've been tithing 90%. Now they're on the floor. They cannot believe it. But you know, I found out later that this pastor who God entrusted with his best-selling book, he had become what was what is considered, I never heard the term before, a progressive tither. You ever heard of that? A progressive tither. He decided that he was going to up his tithe on his own. God didn't require it. He just wanted to do it. And he started increasing his tithe to 11%, to 12%. He never said where he was at, but he increased his tithe, obviously, to 90% by the time he wrote this book. It makes you wonder. Did God entrust him with the wisdom to write this book because he could entrust him with wealth? Something to think about, right? There was another pastor that, uh, that's in Dallas, Texas. I, you know, and these guys, they have mega, mega churches and, uh, Pastor Robert Morris and Gateway Church. I don't know if you ever heard. I'm not usually a name dropper, but I think it's important. He wrote a book called The Blessed Life. Anybody ever heard of that? In fact, I think we have a life group going on right now, The Blessed Life. But he wrote a bestseller book, and just like Pastor Rick, he sold millions of copies of The, the Blessed Life. Everybody wants a blessed life. But you pick up the book and you start reading it, he said, you got to learn how to be an extravagant, extravagant giver. Oh, well, I want to be blessed, man. I don't want to be giving everything away. And he says, that's how you do it. But you know, his church is the most generous church and gives more to missions and to, to the furtherance of the kingdom in any church on the globe. And if you ever read his book, you would find out this guy's given houses away, cars away. And, and he's written this book that is just helping people get set free. Again, I wonder... Could God entrust him with the wisdom to write a best-selling book, give him true riches because he knew how to handle wealth? I was thinking, you know, I wonder what God can entrust me with. I wonder what God can entrust us with. I truly believe that learning how to view and handle our money and possessions directly affects our ability to acquire the true spiritual Riches of God. Does that make sense? Does that add up? It's quiet. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. It might be hard truth, but it's true. It might be a hard pill to swallow, but it's the gospel. <laughs> That's pretty good. Huh? <laughs> it was right off the cuff right there. Amen. It's the leading of the Lord, the spirit of God. Amen. And last and most importantly, we need to learn how to view and handle our money and possessions because it directly affects our eternal destination. 
The greatest blessing that God offers, how many of you know, is salvation. I don't have to go to hell. I get to get to go to heaven. That's a big deal. Amen. Because I hear hell is full of fire. I hate fire. That I, I don't like to be burned. And that it says it's like, you know, the fire that never goes out. So to go to heaven is just like, there's no greater blessing than that, right? But you know what? The greatest blessing ever offered by God is often forfeited or received depending on the way we view or handle our finances and possessions. You remember when uh, Jesus was entering Jericho and um, this wealthy tax collector was a short man named Zacchaeus. Remember that? He wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed a sycamore tree. Remember that? And so he climbs a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 19, 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And people saw this and they began to mutter, he's going to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I will give half of all, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now this is amazing. Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation, his heart being genuine before the Lord based on his willingness and eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and the good of others. Isn't that amazing? It had everything to do with his salvation. Remember when Jesus was ministering and he came across this rich man, this rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, he went straight to the root of the man's problems. And Matthew 19, 16, he said, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Now, just pause for a minute. This is a pretty good guy. I mean, he, he might be obeying more commandments than, than you and I. He was doing, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like way deep in the, in darkness there. He was keeping the commands, but he still lacked something. So verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad for he had many possessions. Now think about if somebody said they came to church here today and they said they wanted Jesus, they wanted to be saved, and I told them, well, go sell all your, all your belonging, give it, and then come back and I'll pray with you to receive salvation. Man, I'd be on Channel 3 News. Do you know what pastor did? Can you believe the audacity? That's what Jesus did. 
He said, look, if you want, if you really want eternal life, go and sell everything. Don't you think that was a little insensitive and rude of Jesus to tell this man to sell all his possessions and give to the poor? If he wanted salvation? See, listen, Jesus knew something that we must all become aware of this morning. Money and possessions can become a barrier to receiving eternal life and genuine spiritual growth. It can become a barrier. Why did Jesus talk so much about it? Maybe it's because he knew something we don't. See, now Jesus didn't ask everyone he ministered to to sell everything, to liquidate everything, to give all their possessions away. But Jesus knew for this man, his money and his possessions was his God. It was his God. And so it's easy for us to say, Lord, forget my sins. I give you my life. But are we willing to make him my Lord? Remember, we talked about that. It's easier to say he's my savior than he's my Lord. But for this man, his possessions was his God. And Jesus knows what Jesus knows is that none of us can really and truly have our heart being thrown with God until we first dethrone it from everything that's keeping the Lord out of our heart. Does that make sense? And the number one thing that keeps our hearts from being enthroned with God is our money and our possessions. The bottom line is if Christ is not the Lord over our money and possessions, then he's really not Lord at all. It's, it's true. The principle is timeless. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition in our attitude and our actions concerning our money and our possessions. You know, somebody said, if you want to see how somebody's doing spiritually, check their checkbook. Because it's a strong indication of where they are. Let me ask you a question. Does God really care about how we view and handle our finances? No doubt he does. The biblical evidence is overwhelmingly in support of the fact that he does care. Why does he really care? Why does he care so much about how we view and handle our money? Because how we handle and view our money and our possessions is a litmus test of our true character. It's a litmus test, an indication of our true spiritual condition. Anybody can wear the t-shirt. Anybody can put a bumper sticker, I love Jesus. But Jesus says... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? Now let's conclude this morning. How then should we view and handle our finances? Well, first of all, we must learn to view money and possessions as a steward, not as an owner. You know, an owner has an improper view of finances and possessions. You know, if we believe that it's ours, we, that's the wrong view. Believing that everything you have is yours to do whatever you want with, it's not a proper view. I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. Amen? A steward has a proper view of finances and possessions because he believes that everything that he has is God's. And we are responsible to do what the owner, God, wants us to do with it. Totally different view. 
Does that make sense? And so Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Who gives us power to make wealth? It is the Lord. See, if we can go to work Monday morning, we need to give God thanks for that. Amen. The Lord is the one who gives us the power and the ability to make wealth. If we don't have breath, we can't make a dime. If we don't have mental health, we won't work one day. Amen. If we don't have our physical health, we can't show up to work one day. Amen. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and adds no trouble to it. To think we're the owner of it and it's our ability and our skills and our gifts that's caused us to succeed or be successful, folks, it's the wrong view. We need to get in our, in our spirit that we are stewards. God has given us what we have and it's not ours to do what we want. we got to be a steward of it. Because we're going to have to give an account one day of what we did with it. Amen? If you agree with that, say amen. amen. And so first of all, how we, how we should view and, and handle our finances is first we must view our possessions and our money as a steward, not as an owner. In fact, that's why the Bible says, return unto the Lord a tenth. He doesn't say give it. It's his. You can't give the Lord what his already is. That's why he says return it. Don't give it. It's already his. And so the second thing that we need to do to, to view and handle our finances properly is we must learn to store treasures in heaven by giving into the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on the earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Remember I was telling you about looking at the newspaper to see the stock market and all that? You know why I was so worried? I'd invested in that. And my investment caused my heart to follow it. And Jesus says, where you invest in, your heart will follow. And so how, do, how our hearts follow our giving, whether we, whether we give or not. Our hearts will follow our giving. And so we become passionate about what we give to. And so that's why it's so important that we give to the kingdom of God because our heart will follow our giving. How do we give into the kingdom of God? Well, the scripture's clear with tithes and offerings. And, and so Matthew 3.18 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Rob God? Have you... How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you and it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will the vine in the fields cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, he starts off saying, you know, you're, you know, your hearts have drifted away from me. And he said, 
you know, why? And he said, because you're robbing me. Why? How are we robbing? Tithes and offerings. See, giving tithes and offerings into the storehouse, the local church is how you should give into the kingdom of God. Why, why into the storehouse? Why I can't just uh, give into humanitarian deeds and all that? It's because there's something powerful about releasing control of your finances. And you know what, what, what happens is if you, if you direct your financial giving, you're still in control. And that's the very thing that God wants us to get free from. It's the control. He's not after our money. He's after our heart. Do you see that? He's really, he, how many of you know God don't need my money? But God does want my heart. Amen. And so he's not asking me to give to the storehouse because he's broke. No, he owns the cattle, the heels, and the gold, and the heels, and the silver, and the bronze, and, and he owns it all, amen? He owns Bill Gates. He owns Warren Buffett. He owns the vault, amen? And so why give into the storehouse? It provides provisions for the house of God to further the kingdom of God, but it also breaks the control of our hearts off of our finances. And so finally, to properly handle our money and our finances is we must give our hearts to Jesus. You know, you could give every penny you have away. You could fill one of those boxes up there with everything you've ever made all your life. But it does not matter until you give your heart to Jesus. In Matthew 6, 24, this is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. You cannot master the handling of your finances and keep mammon, keep money, keep the control of the power of money and possessions from controlling you until Christ becomes the master of your heart and of your life. The Bible says you could give everything away, but until Christ has your heart, he doesn't have you. And that's what he's interested in. He's interested in our hearts, not because he's, a, a, he's on a power trip. No, he really wants to protect us from ourselves. How many of you know we can self-destruct? Left to ourselves, we're going to destroy ourselves. Amen? In fact, with God being the master of our life, he still has trouble keeping us in line. Amen? No, I know most of you are more godly than me to say that. But come on, how many of you know God's got a full-time job just dealing with me? Amen? Come on, how many of you know he wants our heart? So how does God care about how we handle our finances? And the answer is, yes, he does. Why? Why does he care? Because he knows how much power it has in our life. And he preaches more on money than he does heaven or hell. Because he knows if we can get this in line, our hearts are going to follow. And we're going to end up in heaven's door. Amen. Would you do me a favor and let's stand together. Just bow your head with me for just a moment. And would you just do me a favor and, and just be honest with yourself this morning. And just ask yourself. Am I handling, am I handling my money and my possessions wisely? Would God, 
Would God be okay? Is God pleased? Considering everything we just read, all the scriptures we just read together. See, because really at the end of the day, that's really what matters. It's really what matters. The happiest people in the world are the most generous people in the world. The happiest people in the world are not people that are controlled with finances, but are free from finances. And it doesn't matter how much you have. You can have a, you can have a penny and be controlled. And you can have a million or be controlled. You can have a penny and be set free. And you can have millions and be free. It's not how much you have. It's really how much it has you. Can we just pray, pray along these lines today? Can you just be open and honest before the Lord? And can you just make a commitment before the Lord to say, Lord, I want to be free. I want to be a good steward. At the end of the day, I'm not the owner of it. You're the owner of it. And I want to be a good steward of it. Help me, Lord, to be a good steward. Help me to be a good steward. And I just want to encourage you to just make a commitment right there where you are. I promise you the Lord is not trying to empty your bank account or trying to take what you got. The Lord's interested in blessing you. He's interested in giving you the true riches of heaven, peace and joy and His anointing, His power, His presence. If you hear today and you say, Todd, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that I ever really gave my heart to Christ. I'm not sure He's the master of my life, but I want Him to be the master of my life. You can't get your finances in line until you make that decision and you take that step. So if you hear today and you say, Todd, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to cross the line. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to give my all to Jesus. If that's you, would you do me a favor and just lift your hand so I can see it? And I want to pray a special prayer. Just raise your hand high and, and just hold it up for a moment so I can see it. And I want to pray for you. And I want to just, just pray and agree with you that the Lord will just reach you and touch you and just accept you in His family right now. Father God, I just thank You for this day. I thank You, Lord, that You're releasing Your grace. Thank You, Father God, for the health to, to work. Thank You, Lord, for the breath to work. Thank You, Lord. Lord, everything we have, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in which there is no variation or shifting of shadow. Lord, if we have anything, it's because You blessed us, Lord. And today we just want to say thank you. Thank you for showering us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for putting your hand of grace upon our lives. Now, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that, Lord, you are just helping us, Lord, to see, Lord, finances and possessions as you see them. And we thank you for the grace to help us steward them in the way that will bring glory and honor and joy to your heart. I pray in the mighty and the strong name of Jesus and everybody that agrees said amen and amen amen well God bless you you have a wonderful day be blessed as you go if you need prayer for anything we'll be up here and if not you're dismissed be blessed